Welcome to the PCOS Diva podcast. My name is Amy Medling. I'm a certified health coach and founder of PCOS Diva. My mission is to help women with PCOS find the tools and knowledge they need to take control of their PCOS so they can regain their fertility, femininity, health, and happiness. This episode of the PCOS Diva podcast is sponsored by Avocetol. If you are a regular follower of PCOS Diva, then you know that Avocetol is an important part of my personal daily supplement regimen, and that I highly recommend it to other PCOS Divas. The inositol in Avocetol is a very special nutrient. Without getting too deeply into biology, your body needs both myo-inositol and dechiro-inositol in a 40 to 1 ratio found in Avocetol in order to help decrease insulin resistance, which can help to manage weight and appetite, promote normal blood sugar level and menstrual cycles, normalize hormone levels, improve egg quality, resolve acne and hirsutism, and balance lipid levels, all things with which women with PCOS often struggle. In fact, PCOS has been linked to a deficiency in myo-inositol, triggering many of our PCOS symptoms. The best part is that Avocetol is completely natural, dye-free, gluten-free, vegan, and 100% pure inositols. There are no fillers or additives, and you can find it in the PCOS Diva store with free shipping. Order your three-month supply today in convenient single-serving packets One of the questions that I receive most often these days from PCOS divas is, what type of PCOS do I have? And why doesn't my doctor recognize my type of PCOS? Well, the first time I heard this concept of types of PCOS was in the book, The Period Repair Manual by Dr. Laura Bryden. And I had her on the podcast um, several years ago. It's actually podcast number 48, if you want to listen to it. And we talk about the types of PCOS that she has found in her practice. I think there's four of them. And recently, Dr. Andrea Deneif, she was also a podcast a guest back on episode six. She was the lead researcher of a study sponsored by the National Institute of Health. Um, and she found in her study that there may be at least two different subtypes of PCOS. While we certainly know that there is no one size fits all approach to PCOS, I'm finding it confusing now that a lot of PCOS bloggers are now sort of definitively referring to specific types of PCOS, from classic to lean to adrenal to hidden cause to post-pill inflammatory type of PCOS and more. I think it's especially confusing when speaking to your doctor since uh, there really isn't any hard or fast rules, um, and no real major medical body has recognized these sort of types of PCOS. So I've invited Dr. Rashmi Khudija, she's one of my go-to PCOS experts, to today's podcast to weigh in and help us make sense of it all. So welcome, Dr. Khadija. Thank you so much, Jamie. It's always a pleasure to join you. 
So you are a board certified reproductive endocrinologist and infertility specialist. You work out of Houston, Texas for CCRN fertility clinics. You used to work in New York City where you were named a New York super doctor, rising star for two years in a row. You are a really acclaimed reproductive endocrinologist and one of uh, the stars of my guest experts. So thank you so much for joining us again to talk about this topic. Yeah, my pleasure. I guess it's a sign that I've been at this for a while because uh, down here in Houston now, I'm just a super doc, not a rising star anymore. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I'm gaining some more experience under my belt, which always feels good. So do you, uh, my question is, do you have patients that come to you saying, gee, I think I have this type of PCOS? What do you think? Yeah, so I think that I, I love that we're talking about this because I think oftentimes there is a disconnect between the language that people might see, um, you know, on social media or in certain books or in certain blogs um, and, you know, those, the scientific literature or sort of the guideline consensus statements that we have. And, um, you know, a lot of times there is a little bit of trying to figure out, okay, well, what is somebody trying to communicate to me? Um, and yeah, people have come in and using certain technology or certain terminology, excuse me, um, that I wasn't immediately familiar with and so it's you know it's definitely interesting um, and I do think with PCOS it's it's so true and it's such a real phenomenon because not only are people um, they're trying to make sense of the fact that if you just google PCOS you know you may not look like whatever the first google result you know you get is whether your symptoms are different or how you experience it or the impacts of it on you it can be so variable um, and so I think it's particularly a condition where there's just this drive to want to categorize people within it um, because there's so many ways it can show up. And so for sure, people are coming in all the time trying to figure out how they fit within the larger rubric of, of having a PCOS diagnosis. So let me ask you, Dr. Khadija, do you find that this idea of, of types, since we know that there isn't a one-size-fits-all approach, is that helpful for you in working with patients? So, for example, if a, a patient um, presents as really having normal androgen levels, but she might have irregular cycles and metabolic issues, um, she might have polycystic ovaries, do you sort of, in your mind, categorize her in a certain type? Is that helpful for you? It's definitely helpful, and um, it's kind of how I've always thought of PCOS to begin with. So, I know, and I know we've talked about this before. I think in, in our um, quality of life and PCOS um, podcast, but you know, the way that the, the way that I always think about it is kind of looking at all the different manifestations that PCOS can come with. So, you know, what are the main issues that are coming up at any given time? You know, is it um, is it weight? Is it irregular cycles? Is it infertility? Is it you know excess um, androgens showing? up as, you know, facial or body hair or whatever else? Um, is it mental health? And, you know, and then also how are we getting to that diagnosis? Um, you know, is it uh, a typical case, you know, by the oldest set of criteria we have from the National Institutes of Health where, you know, it is somebody that um, has, you know, no ovulation or irregular ovulation and high androgen levels? Or, you know, is it somebody that maybe has normal androgen levels, as you said, um, but, you know, has... Um, 
um, you know, kind of polycystic appearing ovaries on ultrasound and irregular cycles because these have different kind of um, consequences, I guess you could say, for how things show up. So anytime I meet a new patient that has PCOS, I always start from the beginning and figure out how did we get that criteria in the first place because people are often misdiagnosed. And then we talk about, you know, which are the relevant issues. And then in my mind, obviously, I'm putting all of these things into different categories to say, okay, well, here are the relevant issues. Here are the things we need to be testing for. Um, and here's the plan that we're going to make, you know, relevant to, you know, what's going on for you. So I think, you know, in doing comprehensive care for women that have PCOS, you kind of are categorizing. You may not be using the same terminology that uh, different people are using, but I think you kind of have to do a little bit of categorization to say, okay, these are the predominant issues for any given woman, you know, at that given point in time. So I think that's where the confusion comes in is these, that there isn't, um, kind of hard and fast names that we can all yeah. agree to. <laughs> Correct. Uh, but maybe you could go through some different scenarios of types that you're Yeah, okay. sure. And I mean, you know, the other thing I want to say is that I think it's also, you know, really important, um, you know, that people realize that, um, you know, when we have, if, if, you know, so all of the things that you said, you know, if somebody came in and told me, okay, well, this is how I got the diagnosis and these are my symptoms and, you know, here's the list of all of that. And that woman would be, I would just be so impressed because it's actually, you know, it's difficult to kind of have all of that information. And oftentimes people maybe got this diagnosis when they were a teenager or when they were younger and maybe they don't have, you know, they don't have the records or they weren't explained uh, exactly what was done at that time to give them the diagnosis. But there's a lot of detective work you kind of have to do in terms of, okay, well, do you really have PCOS or not? And so if somebody really had that level of knowledge about her own body, I mean, that's just so empowering. So I, I you know, that's the other thing I, I love what you just said before when you were asking the question, because if you knew that level of detail about yourself, then, you know, that I think is really wonderful and is a big part of why, you know, for us um, at CCRM, we spend so much time with our patients because, you know, that's a lot to talk about. Um, so, you know, that, that I think is the biggest um, thing is kind of helping people understand how um, their situation is specific. So what that looks like in real life, um, you know, the, the first question is, okay, well, what um, what criteria are we using to diagnose PCOS and what does any given woman have? So typically we use what's called the Rotterdam criteria. Those have been um, around since the early 2000s. And basically, um, you know, again, as we've talked about before, for that you have to have, you know, some combination, two out of three at least, of irregular ovulation or no ovulation or high androgen levels or ovaries that appear quote unquote polycystic on ultrasound. And so we look at that and then as part of, you know, if we make the diagnosis, then I do a whole bunch of other tests as well. So we want to see, okay, well, we're looking at, you know, where's your overall health? How's your diet and exercise regimen? Are you showing signs of insulin resistance or even diabetes? Um, because I diagnose a lot of diabetes, even in 20 something year old women. Um, you know, are there other, um, what's your family history? Are there other signs? of metabolic disease, what are your periods like, you know, what other um, signs and symptoms do you have of androgen excess, like are you having, you know, hirsutism issues, like extra facial or body hair, are you having male pattern hair loss, which is also can be due to high androgen levels, um, are you having acne, etc. And so to give a couple examples, um, you know, you could say, um, for example, that oftentimes I get patients that will come in and they may have had a lifelong struggle with their weight, for example, so they might come in and say, you know, um, I, maybe I want to try to get pregnant. Um, and sometimes people have had really bad experiences with doctors along the way. I know you've talked about this a little bit too, is, you 
know, I just had a patient yesterday who came and told me that um, she was just told that she couldn't get pregnant because she was overweight. And she actually used the word fat, which I never use that term. Um, and so, you know, that was really sad. Um, and so, you know, we will look at a situation like hers where, you know, she would come in and say, okay, look, I've been struggling with weight. Um, you know, I've been told in the past, maybe I had prediabetes. My cycles are totally irregular. Um, and, you know, when we do an ultrasound, we'll find that their ovaries look polycystic. Um, and when we do the blood work, we'll find out that she does have signs of high androgen levels um, and it's showing up for her because she's having extra facial and body hair growth. So that's a really classic PCOS case, right? So that if you Google PCOS, you might find some of the scenarios or some of the symptoms that I described there. And, um, you know, that kind of management has to take into account the metabolic piece of it. So making sure that, you know, you're managing the sugar levels that somebody's not going to go on to develop, you know, full-fledged gestational diabetes or type 2 diabetes. Um, compare that to other women that I see all the time that come in and, you know, they feel generally healthy, um, but they just come in and they say, you know, my cycle is kind of irregular. When I'll ask them about, you know, are you having issues with extra body hair or acne or anything like that? They'll say, no, that doesn't really apply to me. But then we go do their ultrasound and, you know, we see that um, the ovaries look, you know, typical polycystic ovaries. Um, their blood work will look more or less okay. Sometimes the sugar levels might be trending up, but, you know, in general, um, looks okay. Um, you know, both of those women could have PCOS, but it could show up in totally different ways. And so that first type is kind of more of a metabolic type, if you will, um, where, you know, there's much more um, going on and, and a much higher risk at that moment of, you know, developing all, uh, all of the cardiometabolic issues we worry about. And particularly when a woman is trying to get pregnant, we want to make sure that their health is optimized prior to pregnancy. The other woman, um, you know, is probably still at slightly higher risk of cardiometabolic disease than somebody that doesn't have PCOS at all, um, but it's a different risk, and maybe she has more of a sort of reproductive issue where she's just not ovulating, and again, if she's trying to get pregnant or if she's just frustrated with irregular cycles, you know, that's kind of the main um, predominant issue. And indeed, in Dr. Janiyev's paper that you mentioned in the beginning, that was what they ended up finding that there was sort of like a reproductive phenotype and a metabolic phenotype. And so, um, you know, there were kind of women that had more of one versus another um, type of cluster of, you know, in, in their case, genetic um, signals. And so, you know, that that's kind of like one way that it can show up. And the reality is that if we consider all of the issues, all of the um, different symptoms that I mentioned before, the things that can come into it, whether it's mental health or, um, you know, dermatologic issues or whatever, you know, there ultimately it's, there's so many ways it can show up, but, um, you know, that's kind of what I think about. Um, and one last thing I'll say is, you know, this whole concept of quote unquote post pill PCOS, um, you know, I don't really think of that as true PCOS. You know, the birth control pill is not going to cause you to have PCOS. Um, you know, you may have irregular cycles for a time coming off of the pills, but if you truly have PCOS after coming off the pill, it may be that you may have started at a really young age and you just were never diagnosed with PCOS beforehand, um, or, you know, your health has changed. I think for many women, you know, some of the symptoms of PCOS don't really show up until they're in their 20s and 30s. Um, and so, you know, it, it's probably more just the passage of time. Um, and so I think, yeah, I don't love the post-pill uh, terminology because I think it kind of puts a bunch of people in one bucket, which could be some women that just have irregular cycles as they get used to coming off of birth control and some women that probably always had PCOS, but it was just late diagnosed. Mm. You know, I think that's a, that's a really good point. Um, 
You know, I wanted to ask you, so there's this idea of hidden cause PCOS, and I know mm-hmm. that there are other conditions that can sort of mimic PCOS, like mm-hmm. um, maybe you could talk to us about um, NCAH or non-classic congenital adrenal hyperplasia. I know that's um, you know, a fairly common genetic disorder that shares many symptoms with PCOS. And I'm wondering if that might be like a hidden cause factor. Totally. And so, you know, that's another category I'm a little um, skeptical of because ultimately, you know, PCOS, you know, when you make the, so, you know, I talked a lot about the diagnostic criteria. Now that being said, the caveat to that is you have to have certain other things ruled out. And so, you know, honestly, there shouldn't be a hidden cause, you know, I mean, just to the extent that we know the cause, either you have truly diagnosable PCOS by the criteria um, once these other things have been checked for. And I think, um, you know, what's confusing is that oftentimes people haven't gotten the appropriate workup in the first place. So you're Mm -hmm. totally right. Um, So the things that we look for, you mentioned, you totally read my mind as you were asking that question. That was the first thing I wanted to talk about. So congenital adrenal hyperplasia is a situation where for a variety of reasons, there, there are a different number of enzymes that basically help um, synthesize the progression of all of our steroid hormones. So basically, all of our estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, all of that come from cholesterol as a precursor, okay? And so um, there is a series of, of uh, enzymes and hormonal changes that happen to convert cholesterol into each of those things. And so if certain uh, enzymes are missing, then basically what ends up happening is that there are certain shifts in what is actually produced. And so in this instance, what happens is that our adrenal glands uh, produce a uh, fraction of the uh, androgens that we have as women and the rest come from uh, the ovaries. And so when we have adrenal hyperplasia, basically what that means is that there's a high production of adrenal androgens, specifically DHEAS is the one that we often uh, test for. And so if you have that really high level, it's going to cause a lot of the same symptoms that PCOS causes which is um, extra facial and body hair growth. Um, Oftentimes for congenital adrenal hyperplasia, um, there is a very severe form um, that can be diagnosed at infancy. So in that that instance, it actually uh, prevents the production of certain hormones that help with um, regulating your blood pressure, with regulating the salts and electrolytes in your bloodstream. And so some of these can actually be very serious. The non-classical piece of it is a milder form that shows up generally around the time of puberty. Um, and so that's the one that can oftentimes be confused with PCOS. Now, oftentimes, even in that, women will have more severe symptoms, like they might actually get um, clitoral enlargement as a result of the high androgen level. So there can be, and we can get you know, a deepening voice. So there can be other symptoms that go along with it, but it's basically driven by a blood test. You know, we, we just basically check pack um, the levels of a hormone called 17-hydroxyprogesterone, um, and we make sure that it's not, you know, um, high, and we look at the DHEAS levels, and we look at all of that stuff, and we can kind of rule out, um, you know, somebody from having congenital adrenal hyperplasia, um, and so, you know, that is one thing that we look at. Um, thyroid disease is another thing that can be often confused for PCOS. Um, you know, they're a little bit different in terms of how they show up, but there's a huge overlap in the symptoms. And so, you know, I think that's another thing. So in my mind, you know, once the appropriate uh, tests have been done for the, the things that commonly mimic PCOS, um, then if you have the symptoms and you don't have those other things, then you just have PCOS. Um, and that's kind of how I would view it. Mm. You know, I think what you had said about um, 
you know, having this idea of type and patients sort of coming in with a better knowledge of, um, you know, the symptoms that they're dealing with and maybe even some of um, like previous lab work by the time they come to see you so that they mm-hmm. can kind of say, gee, you know, my insulin resistance isn't that bad and I'm thin, maybe I have this lean type of PCOS. Um, Mm -hmm. I know that, I mean, for me, that can be very um, empowering, especially I think when there's, a, you know, in my experience working with women with PCOS, there are a lot of like general practitioners that um, only sort of identify the classic type or think that you have to be overweight Mm -hmm. in order Mm -hmm. to have PCOS and losing your hair and kind of have that um, classic manifestation of symptoms. um, So that if you know that there are actually sort of these other manifestations, it really is empowering and it allows you to advocate for yourself. Um, So I'm just curious, how many um, women have you diagnosed like with lean PCOS? Do you feel like it's harder for those women to get a diagnosis? I think you're totally right. I think that that group is often underdiagnosed. Um, and I think that the other thing that happens is that there's a little bit of cognitive dissonance. Again, when somebody that um, feels like that describes them and then they, they Google just PCOS and they hear all these things and they're like, but I don't have, you know, I don't have these things. I've not really struggled with my weight or I've not had, you know, um, hirsutism or other things. And so I think that that is oftentimes they come in and they'll say, do you think you really have PCOS? Because I tried to look it up and I just felt like that didn't really describe me. And um, so I think, you know, there's two, there's two aspects to it. Um, but there's no doubt that it's underdiagnosed um, in, in that patient population and then oftentimes in general. Um, and so, I, I, yeah, I totally agree with that. And then what about this idea that um, some women's PCOS can be sort of adrenal-driven um, rather than kind of ovary-driven? Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So and, talk to us about that. Yeah. So, you know, that kind of um, – you know, so it kind of goes back to the the different kinds of androgen levels. So androgens are just a category of the, you know, hormones that we often think of as quote unquote male hormones, but we all have them. Um, and so the main ones that, you know, we will look at would be testosterone, um, which primarily comes from from the ovary, and then um, the DHEAS, which primarily comes from the adrenal gland. And I think that, you know, uh, oftentimes this quote-unquote adrenal PCOS, um, you know, the way it shows up is, you know, so the adrenal glands also produce our stress hormones like cortisol. And so I think that the connection there is that women that have adrenal PCOS um, oftentimes have symptoms of, you know, kind of high cortisol levels or of high sort of stress uh, levels. And the way that that can manifest, you know, is kind of a particular way that, you know, we sort of um, put on weight. So some of the symptoms of, you know, high cortisol or high stress levels can be um, sort of the, again, the body distribution of how we put on fat um, of actually feeling stressed, um, you know, is one thing. Um, And then if it's uncontrolled can actually lead to high blood pressure and other kind of complications that way. Um, And then people often talk about, you know, I think, you know, you have talked about too, in some of your um, materials about like adrenal fatigue, and, um, you know, people often feeling like they're um, 
sort of when they feel uh, most awake versus, you know, kind of like depleted of energy and things like that can sometimes feel a little bit off. So there are a number of symptoms that seem to correlate with this quote unquote adrenal PCOS. It's not something that is clearly defined in the scientific literature, but um, essentially, you know, kind of applies most to the women whose, you know, I guess criteria of having what we would call high androgen levels primarily comes from having high adrenal androgen hormones like the DHEAS rather than having a high testosterone level. Um, so I think, you know, that's kind of how we would categorize it. But then, you know, some of the symptoms that show up, you know, oftentimes or people associate with those symptoms are some of the things that, you know, I just mentioned. It seems to me that the medical literature, it's slow to catch up with what practitioners are seeing in practice. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the, the tough thing is that, so on the one hand, you know, if we were doing a research study, what would be ideal would be to have, you know, sort of like all of them, you know, kind of have all of that data, right? Exactly how did somebody uh, meet the diagnosis? What are their symptoms? What are their lab tests, et cetera? But, you know, unfortunately, unless it's some sort of prospective randomized controlled trial where you can sort of, um, you know, request all that information ahead of time, oftentimes research just, you know, doesn't have access to all of that information. Um, and so you're, you're right, it's kind of limited in, in the sense that in many studies, all women that have PCOS are just kind of lumped in, um, you know, as one category. And we would probably find richer answers if we were able to, you know, kind of divide them out. And so the larger, bigger studies do do that. I think, you know, people clearly realize that. Um, and, uh, and certainly, you know, in clinical practice, there's a lot of mismanagement I see too of women that have PCOS. Um, you know, so I, I wouldn't say it's just a research issue, but I, I think that, um, but I think, yes, that there are definitely different phenotypes and we are still trying to figure out the best way to help people um, sort of self-identify that these are their active issues and then, you know, also make sure that we have the correct um, treatment plan for each of those, for each of those women. And I think the other thing that's important, um, which is why I'm a little reluctant to kind of tell somebody, hey, you're just, you have this kind of PCOS, quote unquote, is because it may change over time. You know, I don't think it's fair to say or that we can say for sure that, you know, if somebody doesn't have, um, metabolic PCOS or, you know, whatever, one kind of PCOS when they're, you know, 23, it doesn't mean that by the time they're 43, you know, things will be exactly the same. Or if they have, you know, inflammatory signs or if they don't, you know, that that will not change at all over the course of their life. I think, you know, things can change. So I think even if you find a classification system that works well for you, I think I would caution every woman to be open-minded to recognizing that it seems like things are changing um, because, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I see that all the time. People come in and they say, well, you know, this wasn't an issue before, but, um, you know, now, now it is. And so, um, you know, we kind of have to think about that too. I, yeah, that is, that's a great point. Um, oh, I've lost my train of thought. So, so with these types, I think it is helpful because it's helping get to the root factors. Um, and, oh, this is what I want to say, that, you know, we all know that there is no one-size-fits-all approach to PCOS in general. And even if you have sort of classified yourself into one of these kind of quote-unquote types, it doesn't mean that the treatment plan is necessarily going to work for you. Um, mm -hmm. and I think that's, you know, it's really comes down to trial and error, um, 
I, my experience managing my own PCOS and, and, and I think you're right as I've aged, that has changed. What worked for me in my twenties is not really now that I'm in perimenopause and (laughs) gosh, I'm going to be 50 next year. um, It's, it's not, you know, things are changing. I have to work a little bit harder to keep the the belly fat off. And um, Mm -hmm. I, you know, I just, it's not, it's not the same as it used to be. Um, So I'm really curious, where do you think that this is going to go this idea of types and phenotypes. And, um, you know, I know that as we get more information about different genetics, do you think that we're going to really be able to um, create more customized plans based on a woman's genetics and factors of PCOS? Do Do you see that happening down the road? I definitely see that happening. So, you know, I think that, you know, the genetic studies are, are really interesting because, um, you know, obviously th- those genetics are there from, you know, the moment you're born, right? And so that's not to say that, you know, genetics is everything because, you know, people can have very similar genes and have totally different health profiles. There's sort of the whole epigenetic phenomenon of kind of fetal or genetic programming that happens while we're in utero. Um, so there are a lot of like, you know, subtleties and nuance to it, no doubt. But, um, you know, there, I think, is a lot of interest in the idea of, okay, can we help somebody identify ahead of time? And this is particularly relevant for me as a fertility physician, because, you know, people, if people can identify in their early, you know, in their earlier years, well, these are the things that seem like they're showing up as risk factors for me, then can we potentially take steps to address them preemptively rather than, you know, waiting for them to show up. And what I mean by that is that, you know, I'm very passionate about sort of, you know, kind of appropriate full sexual education and fertility counseling for adolescents in the sense of you need to understand what your menstrual cycle is telling you. Um, And that is the one thing if I could tell every girl and every woman, um, I would, you know, that would be the one message I have. And so what that means is that, you know, if you could know on top of, okay, well, here are the signs and symptoms my period's telling me because it's kind of irregular and I'm 15 and, you know, I got my period two years ago and it's still irregular. And now maybe you have a blood test that can sort of, even though clinically we might hesitate to label somebody as PCOS because, you know, I don't think that's really appropriate to give most 15 year olds a diagnosis like that. But if it could tell you, look, you are at risk for these metabolic issues, which, you know, um, are, are present and, you know, based on your blood test blood, uh, blood work and, and so on and so forth, you know, that could help a 15 year old make important life choices that will have such a huge impact when you're that young, or if you're 25, you know, whatever. And so I think that it's really, I, I think very empowering in theory to be able to identify ahead of time, the risk that people are at, because the treatment for most of these things is just a healthy lifestyle. I would be, you know, I would be much more nervous about it if it meant that you had to put somebody on medication, but it isn't about medication. It's about, um, you know, really helping people emphasize that they're at risk for, um, you know, these things. And, you know, that if you're an average, let's say you're going off to college, if you have, I mean, I see people talk, to, I have patients that talk to me about this all the time, you know, that they kind of look around and they're like, well, I don't know. I was doing the same thing as all my friends, but then all of a sudden I put on 50 pounds, you know, and, um, you know, I think that is a hard thing for a woman to go through. Um, and it feels like your body's fighting against you. And so if you contrast that to the possibility of, you know, maybe I could know ahead of time that this is a risk factor and learn at a young age, you know, how to be my healthiest self, you could avoid a lot of, you know, or reduce the risk of a lot of these complications. And so I definitely, 
definitely think that there is so much of an interest in personalized medicine, in you know, patient-centered medicine, in genetics, genomics, the whole nine yards. So I do see that coming, but I think we're still a ways away. Mm-hmm. I love that, what, you know, what you're telling your young, your young patients. Um, I have a daughter who's 11, and mm-hmm. um, she's kind of like putting her hands over her ears when we, you know, I'm trying to have that period talk <laughs> with her, but she, I'm determined to do it before the end of the summer. Um, but anyway, you know, one of the things that, you know, I want to teach her is how to track her cycles when the time comes, because you're right, there's just so much information. Um, and it does, you know, you need to know what your body's doing. Um, and, you know, as you were talking, you know, you think about all of these young women, um, girls that are put on the birth control pill mm-hmm. um, because they don't really understand their cycles. And yeah, they're sort of, um, you know, uh, sporadic, um, but that can be quite normal in adolescence, but they're put on the birth control pill. And then, you know, 10 years down the road, they're diagnosed with post pill type of PCOS, <laughs> um, which if they were given sort of be, to be empowered to take control of their cycles, they may have made dis- different decisions, especially if you can combine that with, um, you know, lab work that shows that they might have higher inflammatory markers or, mm-hmm. um, you know, to androgen levels or their insulin is a little bit off, um, you know, they can make a more informed decision about, you know, how to move forward. And I think that's really what it's all about. We really want to, you know, as women with PCOS, we want to be empowered with choices and not just take, um, you know, prescriptions and Mm -hmm. not really understanding why we're taking them. So, yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree with that more. And, and I think that is the main issue, you know, when people talk about sort of the backlash of birth control, I think part of the biggest, the, the issue with that is that, um, you know, people are often not explained, um, you know, things properly um, before being put on it. And so I think it's oftentimes easier for if somebody comes in, girl, woman, whatever, and say, well, I think my periods are irregular. Okay, you know, here's an answer, prescription for birth control rather than, you know, diving into, well, why do you say that? You know, um, what is irregular about your cycle? Let's talk about what a normal cycle is, what it tells you. Um, and if it is truly irregular, what are the tasks we need to do to figure out why? And if you have a diagnosis, then what do we do about that? You know, um, instead, I think people often turn to the pill as a Band-Aid without figuring out what's underneath it. Um, and so, you know, I think that that is precisely the wrong approach, unfortunately. And results in women coming to see me, I mean, I, I've lost track of how many women have started crying in my office office because they were told however many years ago that they would never get pregnant or that it would be very hard for them to get pregnant. And, you know, I'm telling them actually it will probably be pretty easy. You're, you know, relatively young. We're going to do some ovulation induction and, um, you know, the success rates are about as high as it gets if you're, you know, relatively young. And so, you know, it's just amazing to me how many people are out there getting horrible information. And so, you know, I would make a big plug for people to consider seeing, you know, either a reproductive endocrinologist or a medical endocrinologist or an OBGYN, but somebody that really is passionate about PCOS because there's just a lot of um, very poor patient counseling, um, I think, that happens and um, a lot of incorrect diagnoses and, and not as much of a focus on how do you maintain your health despite this diagnosis and how do you maintain your fertility um, mm-hmm. or understand, you know, what's coming about that. 
Yeah, and I was one of those girls at 17 in my college clinic being told that, you know, I would, they would have to jump through hoops one day to get me pregnant if yeah. I ever did get pregnant. Um, and yeah, and thank goodness, you know, I, I found some good um, medical care and I have three beautiful children. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I, um, I, I find it so refreshing to talk to you, Dr. Khadija, because um, you really are kind of a trailblazer in, in the way that women with PCOS um, are cared for and treated. And I really, um, you know, recommend everybody listening to, uh, you know, don't take, uh, you know, talking to a doctor who tells you here, take, take this metformin and birth control. And, you know, you might get, if you want to get pregnant, come back and talk to me. I'll do the best that I can. Um, you know, you, the women deserve better care than that. And I just want to underline what you said about women. Like there's so much hope for women with PCOS that want to mm -hmm. get pregnant. Um, so tell us how we can um, find out more about your work and if you are accepting um, new patients and how we can get in touch with you. Yeah, so as you mentioned, I'm based in Houston. Um, and so, you know, Texas is obviously a big state. So we take care of a lot of people from all over the area, to be honest. And we do um, obviously in-person consultations and telehealth as well. Um, my focus is, you know, primarily on fertility, but I do lots of non-fertility PCOS as well. Um, and I am on Instagram. I know we can link the, the handle there, um, but I'll be doing a ton of stuff next month, or I should say in September for PCOS Awareness Month. So, um, you know, I'll be putting out a lot of specific PCOS content, but I share most of the stuff that I do through my Instagram. So that's uh, probably the best way to find me or on Facebook. Um, I share a bunch of stuff there as well. Yeah, and if you're listening on uh, iTunes or another podcast platform, just come back to PCOSDiva.com for all of the show notes and the transcript of this podcast. So I want to thank you again for uh, clarifying some things for us, Dr. <laughs> Khadija. Um, it's been a, a great conversation. And I just want to thank everyone for listening again, and I look forward to being with you again very soon. that wraps up our podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us on the PCOS Diva podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you liked this episode, remember to subscribe to PCOS Diva on iTunes or wherever else you may be listening to this show. And if you have a minute, please leave me a quick review on iTunes because I love to hear from you. If you think someone else might benefit from this free podcast, please take a minute to share it with a friend or family member so she can benefit from it too. And don't forget to sign up for my free weekly newsletter. Just enter your email at PCOSDiva.com to get instant access and make sure you never miss a future podcast. This is Amy Medling wishing you good health. Bye-bye.